0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Qualified immunity is the big sticking point for policing reform in Congress. Many Democrats may not support reform without curtailing the doctrine that lets police get away with violating your rights. And some Republicans say they won't support reform that includes an end to qualified immunity. Cato's Jay Schweigert and Clark Neely provide some of the context at what point did republicans decide that policing reform was going to be essentially anywhere on their radar
1: well i think the um certainly the the events of last spring and summer in the wake of the murder of george floyd by minneapolis police officers was a you know galvanizing moment i think we see this come in cycles. I mean, we have really serious problems in our criminal justice system and really, really serious problems uh, with at least some police departments in this country and public confidence in police has never been lower. So it's perhaps not so surprising that Republicans would express um, some recognition of those problems. What was interesting and for at least a time encouraging was that they seem not only um, to acknowledge that they needed to you know, sort of um, express some understanding of public frustration, but at one point, seemed like they actually might be serious about doing something about it.
0: Jay, Republicans have decided that qualified immunity reform—a uh, fix to it or ending it—is going to be nowhere in uh, policing reform, as far as they're concerned. What does that mean, and uh, what was on the table?
2: Well, the issue of qualified immunity has been debated, uh, especially in the Senate. Uh, really since April. And for a while, it did seem like there was some willingness to consider, if not outright abolition of the doctrine, um, significant modifications to it. Um, One of the proposals that became very popular in the Republican caucus was rather than creating individual liability for officers, shifting that financial burden onto police departments, um, which we had... We were even of that. We were somewhat skeptical of that solution as well because of the fact that it would uh, undercut the individual deterrence that you would want for police officers. But that proposal, uh, even that, it got pared back over the last couple of months to something that was limited. That would have been limited only to uh, department liability where officers uh, were involved in death or serious bodily injury, which would have been defined very narrowly and would not have covered. Uh, The vast majority of civil rights cases. And now, even that is off the table. So, we've seen this sort of steady scaling back from qualified immunity reform to employer liability to very limited employer liability, and now to essentially no reform uh, for uh, civil rights accountability at all. Um, And I think that that has really been the product of certain elements of the law enforcement lobby who will do anything to avoid increased liability for civil rights violations committed by individual officers.
0: So what's left? I mean, what in in a policing reform legislation that comes from the federal government, what's left?
2: Well, there are a lot of things that have been considered as part of federal policing reform. I mean, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act has a lot of different provisions, Um, but those that go to the kinds of actions taken by individual police officers, in our view, will be hollow and almost entirely ineffective without some measure of accountability reform. So for example, some of the reform proposals on on the table are, and this is, you know, reforms that have been suggested by both Democrats and Republicans would be, you know, prohibiting or limiting the ability of police to engage in no knock warrants, or to engage in racial profiling uh, in the act of policing or to use Chokeholds or other kinds of uh, prohibited maneuvers, or changing the standards for when deadly force can be used. And I think that there's some of those reforms are promising, um, but if there's not accountability behind them, they will not be effective at actually protecting people's individual rights. Congress can say, This is what officers have to do or, you know, these are the conditions that officers that that states have to meet and requiring their officers to adhere to these standards if they want to receive federal funding. But if those provisions can be violated with impunity and nothing happens, then they're not actually affecting they're not actually protecting anyone. And that's why uh, accountability reform, which primarily meant qualified immunity reform, was such a linchpin of these discussions
0: from the beginning. Uh, Clark. As we've seen with a lot of issues, in, especially in constitutional law, states move first, some critical mass of states adopt a reform, and then either the Supreme Court or Congress will then adopt that reform. Is that likely to be the path forward?
1: It certainly is one path forward. Um, We've seen a number of jurisdictions eliminate qualified immunity, uh, Colorado, New Mexico, and New York City. Um, I'm fairly confident that others will follow. I I think it's unfortunate, though, that uh, Congress and the Supreme Court, who are primarily responsible for creating the travesty of qualified immunity, um, and in the case of Congress, allowing it to remain after the Supreme Court invented it out of whole cloth about 40 years ago, um uh, they bear primary responsibility the the nation's primary civil rights law is 42 USC section 1983 and it was designed by congress 150 years ago to ensure that people didn't have to rely on their state governments when their civil rights were violated that you could go into federal court and and receive protection um and and compensation for rights violations so Yes, I think the states are likely to now take a leadership role here. And I think that's a very sad commentary on the Supreme Court and on Congress that neither one has the institutional willpower, uh, to correct a situation that is properly the responsibility of the federal government. And that is to ensure that every person in this country has the ability to protect their rights in a federal forum. And they don't have to depend on their state governments for that. That was exactly what the problem uh, that Congress was trying to fix back in 1871 uh, and to throw it back to the states at this point, I think is a, um, a really unfortunate kind of regression. Uh, but given the lack uh, of, of institutional will and given the um, willingness of Congress and the Supreme Court to do their respective duties, Uh, Unfortunately, I think it is going to be incumbent upon the states uh, to ensure that people's civil rights are properly protected.
0: Uh, Uh, Greg Lukianoff and Adam Goldstein wrote uh, an op ed in USA Today recently uh, talking about campus administrators and the degree to which. Uh, they might receive qualified immunity after having abridged the First Amendment rights, uh, at least at public universities. Uh, so my, I wonder if if you want Republicans to get on board here, tell them that this is to in to protect this whole eliminating qualified immunity not just for policing but for all public officials. Uh, maybe maybe that's the happy middle ground that uh, when uh, college administrators uh, among among other, uh, people who are not police officers violate people's rights, that they will not receive the protections of qualified immunity. Is it possible that uh, broadening the elimination of those protections is actually a path forward?
2: I think that's definitely possible. And I think, you know, what it just what it reminds people of is that the the reason that qualified immunity be, has become a national flashpoint in the last uh you know, a couple of years has been because of its relationship to police misconduct. But the doctrine applies uh, to all public officials, and it is just as unlawful and just as unjust in all of its applications, not just when applied to police officers. And you're absolutely right that uh, there are significant constitutional violations often of the First Amendment, but also of the due process clause that go on at public universities. Um and that is an area where I think you can bring in more. Uh, right of center support for uh, reforming the doctrine, um, and at the state level, you know, we're already starting to see that. I mean, uh, Colorado's qualified immunity reform was part of comprehensive policing reform, so it was specific to police officers. But in New Mexico, it was an across-the-board civil rights act that applies to all public officials in the state. Um, so I do think that that's that's certainly what we are you know, suggesting to, uh, state policymakers going forward is that, you know, look, you have the opportunity to write from a blank slate here and to ensure that, you know, just really to give, to give teeth to the basic idea, which I think is common sense to most people, which is that if an agent of the government violates your constitutional rights, you should have a remedy. Um, you know, when you put it that way, I don't think it's especially controversial. And I think people most people are actually surprised at how how difficult it is to vindicate that principle today. Uh, and if that has the you know happy effect of reaching a wider array of public officials that therefore reaches a wider, uh, more diverse political array of policymakers, you know, all the better.
0: Uh, Jay, before we started recording, you mentioned that a lot of Republicans would not go for Uh, this reform, if limiting or eliminating qualified immunity was included in the reform. Uh, And you also said a lot of Democrats won't go for it if it's not. So uh, it seems at least possible that whatever happens will be watered down, will be uh, limited if it occurs at all.
2: I think that's right. I mean, I think at this point, the most substantial policing reforms have been taken off the table. Uh, it's possible that the Senate will cobble together something um, much more limited. Um, if they do, I think it's very un- uh, unclear whether that will have any legs in the House um, where uh, you know the Democrats hold a very narrow majority and they need the progressive block of Democrats to get anything passed for the most part. And those Democrats have been very clear that they, you know, don't, want to see any policing reform that doesn't include qualified immunity reform because they correctly recognize that accountability is essential to make everything else in policing reform work as it's intended to. Uh, so, you know, I don't know for sure what's going to happen here, but I would be um, I think it's its quite likely that we end up seeing nothing passed um, because uh, it, it really does seem like the key de- uh, negotiators are at an impasse um, on what they want to see as the essential features of policing reform
1: yeah i mean i think it's no surprise uh, that this has become such an incoherent train wreck uh, for republicans in particular because think about this Republicans tend to tout themselves as the party of personal responsibility, the party of limited government, the party of constitutional originalists. And qualified immunity is completely antithetical to all of those values. It was literally designed to let police who violate people's rights off the hook. That is not personal responsibility. It is literally designed to ensure that heavily armed agents of the state uh, who have the power to arrest and even take lives don't have to exercise that power very carefully. That is antithetical to the value of limited government. And of course, when a citizen has a dispute with the government, that has to be decided by somebody. And guess what? The institution that is charged with helping resolve that dispute is a jury. And Republicans don't want disputes between police and citizens to go to a jury. So you couldn't think of a more anti- conservative, anti-Republican legal doctrine and qualified immunity. And when Republicans decide that they have to embrace qualified immunity, it makes no sense whatsoever. It is completely incoherent and it represents um, a, an abandonment of their stated values. So no wonder it's a mess.
0: Clark Neely is Senior Vice President for Legal Studies at the Cato Institute. Jay Schweikert is a research fellow at Cato. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.